Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast, brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, and in this time where the Premier League are putting blockers on your IPTV, a VPN might be just what you need. Check out LibertyShield.com, use the promo code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware and subscription. So, normally on a Wednesday, I'm joined by Lee Scott. Unfortunately, something's come up with Lee and he can't make it today, but he will be back next week, not to worry. Um, Hopefully everything gets sorted nice and quick from this week and uh, he can get back to a little bit of normality. Uh, So, it's just me today, unfortunately. Um, Well, maybe it's fortunate. I don't know, maybe you're some sort of sadist and you just enjoy listening to me speak by myself. But um, we've got quite a bit to talk about today. And the first thing I want to touch on is uh, is Manchester United. And I, I really don't want to seem like a broken record on them. And I really don't like like it coming across that I'm piling on. But I need to pile on at the minute. So Gary Neville uh, tweeted this morning at three minutes past eight. So, you know, it's obviously the first thing that came to mind. It's appalling that in this market, which is probably the easiest in PL history to get transfers done, the United haven't done more yet. They must get Ollie a centre-back, a left-back, and a forward pre-deadline. The others are managing to get things over the line. Why not United? So, first things first, I disagree that it's the easiest market to get things done. Secondly, it's already been widely reported that United are not in for a centre-back. They're not looking for a centre-back. Now, I've said since the beginning of this podcast and on others, United went into this summer needing four signings. Centre-back, a holding midfielder, those two as starters, depth out wide, and depth as a number nine. So far, they have signed none of those players. They have signed Donny van de Beek, who is an attacking midfielder. So basically, they've paid $40 for a bench ornament who'll only play when Bruno... So I don't put the blame on the powers that be United so much as whoever it is that's been 
insisting on this Sancho pursuit all summer long. As brilliant as Jaden Sancho is, he doesn't fix the problems at Manchester United. I think United will be better off taking that Sancho money and spreading it around and getting the th- the three or four players they actually need. Now, there's been rumours in the last couple of days that Edinson Cavani um, could be United bound on a free transfer. So, if if United needed him to start, I would be against this deal because since 2018, he's only scored 22 league goals as opposed to missing 38 games through injury. So if the idea was that he's going to be the starting number nine, I would say, no, don't do that. But as a backup number nine, whose minutes you can manage and who can be an impact threat off the bench, I really think on a free transfer, on a short-term deal, probably two years, I think you could do a lot worse. I mean, he's a great player. There's no question that Edinson Cavani is a great player who has done incredible things through his career. And his goal record is absolutely sensational. You look at the last, what's he had, seven years at, at PSG, 200 goals in 301 games. At Napoli, the three years before that, in Syria, 104 goals in 138 games. That's all competitions. His Serie A record was 78 in 104, which is ludicrous. The guy scores goals for fun. And remember, a couple of those years at PSG, he spent playing right wing because Latan played through the middle. And he still had that type of goal return. I think United could do an awful lot worse than Edinson Cavani on a free. And that would then free up a bit of money. Now, they are being linked with Usman Dembele. There's reports that they've made a, third, uh, made a second or third offer for Sancho and it's been immediately dismissed by Dortmund who say he's not for sale. That's kind of been obvious all summer long. There's other reports saying that United spoke to Dortmund, said, look, we're going to make an offer. This is what it's going to be. And Dortmund said, don't don't waste your time. And United didn't make the offer because they didn't want to be embarrassed by having the offer turned down. And that they've now moved on to Usman Dembele. And from a talent point of view, Dembele is sensational. There's no question. From a natural talent point of view, this is one of the very best players on the planet. The problem is he doesn't turn up very often. He's either injured or out of form. And it was excusable a couple of years ago because he was like 20, 21. But now you kind of need to see production. He's missed 53 games through injury since 2018. That's an awful lot of games. That's a full season, basically. That's a full season of injuries. They have been linked to Ishmael Assar. They have been linked to David Brooks. I kind of feel like maybe they should just buy both of them. If they could get Cavani on a free and buy both of them for in and around 80 million, I think they'd be a lot better off. They could then let Dan James go either on loan or on a permanent deal to Leeds, who are very keen on him. But I feel like United would have improved their squad. And it's all well and good for Gary Neville to come out and you know say, Spend money, spend money, spend money. But United have spent a lot of money over the last couple of years. And they are where they are. And they still need what they need. And if you look at the Premier League record signing for each club currently in the Premier League, there's not many that you would say, as of this moment, are a success. Now, some it's too early to judge. 
This is from five yards. So, Paul Pogba, Manchester United, 89 million. You couldn't say he's been a success. I don't think he's been a failure, but you couldn't say he's been a, been a success. At the most, it's passive. Next on the list then is Virgil van Dijk, 75 million to Liverpool, runaway success. Nicolas Pepe, 72 million to Arsenal. Can't say it's a success. Wouldn't say it's a failure. Passive at the moment. I like the player. I didn't like the Willian signing because I felt it would hamper him, but we'll see what happens. I still think he can turn that round and make that a success. Kai Havertz for Chelsea, 72 million, too early to tell. Rodri at Man City, 63 million, too early to tell. Hasn't played enough. Last season, not great. Not not a train wreck, but not great. Not a success yet. Tangoy and Belly last season was a train wreck. Not all because of him. But again, you couldn't call him a success. Sebastian Haller couldn't call him a success. That's West Ham's at 45 million. Gilfie Sigurdsson is Everton's at 45 million. I would say that's been a failure. I don't think he's improved them. He's not in their team now. And they've gone backwards in signing him. Yuri Thielemans at Leicester. I think that's a success. I would mark that down as a su- success. Uh, Jolington at Newcastle, 40 million. It it looks very much like it's going in the failure basket, but you give it time. It's only a year and a little bit in, so you'd say it's too early to say. Um, Fabio Silva, God knows. That's Wolves, 35 million. We'll wait and see. Ollie Watkins, 28 million for Aston Villa. Uh, too early to tell, but early signs are good. Christian Benteke, complete flop. That's maybe the worst one on the list. Rodrigo at Leeds, 27 million. We'll wait and see. John Michel Serry at uh, Fulham, 25 million. Flop. Can't be argued any other way, I don't think. Um, Sander Berger, 22 million to Sheffield United. Really early to tell, but early signs are very, very promising. I think I would put that one down as a success. Um, Adam Webster, 20 million for Brighton. I think a little bit too early to tell. A little bit of a ropey season last year at times. Mostly good, but learning a new role now having to play in a back three. So it's a little bit of a wait-and-see situation. Danny Ings, 20 million to Southampton. Runaway success. Grady Diangana, 18 million to Sheffield United. Or to, Sheffield, to West Brom. We'll wait and see. And Ben Gibson, 15 million to Burnley. Complete flop. So of the 20 teams, you have Van Dijk, you have Tielemans, you have Berger, and you have Ings, that I would say are successes. You have Gilfie, you have Benteke, and you have Ben Gibson. Complete failures. So four successes, three failures. And 13 that... I mean, they're either passive and are going to be passive like a Pogba or it's a little bit too early to tell because they're only there a year or less. But throwing money at the problem is not is not going to answer it for you. This is not the way forward. United need to get better at developing players. They've got an incredible academy. And we've seen Rashford and, and Greenwood make their way into the team, but we need to see more of that. And we need to see them be more focused on buying a Dan James and developing developing him rather than buying him and then discarding him a year later because the new shiny toy comes along. The Jaden Sancho deal has been 
doomed to failure since day one because United were not willing to pay the asking price and Dortmund weren't going to drop the asking price. Now, there's still five days left in the market, so it is possible that they just decide to go nuts and pay over the odds for Sancho. Dortmund said yesterday it's 150 million euro now. It's not 120 anymore. And even at 150, they might not sell. So I think United have just made a mess of that one. And they now need to find alternative options. But it's not just two or three signings. They need four. And if they want a left back, they need five. Otherwise, that squad is going to be incomplete. If Jaden Sancho signed for United, I think they'd be improved, obviously. But you wouldn't mark them down as a title contender. But if they got a good centre-back, a good holding midfielder, and a bit of depth up front, I think you'd immediately put them down as a title contender. The only thing that would hold them back is the manager. From a playing point of view, you give that to an Allegri, a Pochettino, and you're immediately challengers. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, last night in the Carabao Cup, Chelsea faced off against Spurs, and both teams fielded surprisingly strong first 11s. Um, Two two moments of no, well, three moments of no. Spurs win on a penalty shootout. They advance to the next round, so it gets them, you know, carrying on in the mix for a trophy, which is what Jose will set out to do this year. Second moment was Eric Dyer getting caught short and having to, to run for the nearest toilet uh, before returning, playing well, and scoring a penalty. Uh, so credit to him. He was obviously under the weather and put in a very good shift for them. The, th- the third thing, and the, the thing that really gets me is, is Frank Lampard's behavior. Does Frank Lampard think that if he just mouths off to top managers, that that puts him on their level? Now, Lampard is, or was, a much better player than Klopp or Mourinho, obviously. Lampard was a great player. Klopp was a lower league journeyman, and Mourinho didn't really play the game. Those two are all-time great managers. And he is not. Not even close. He, thus far, has failed to get Derby promoted and made Chelsea worse. That's his managerial resume. They've won leagues and Champions Leagues and Cups and everything else. And this week I was planning, I was planning to do it tomorrow, I was planning to rank the managers in the Premier League, 1-20. to um, So I'm going to do it today, because Lee's not here. So I'll do it today while I have the time. So I think there's four tiers. That's that's how I look at it. I think there's four tiers in the league of five managers. And there's maybe a couple that are debatable, and I'll I'll pick those out as I go through. So the top tier, I think there's five. There's Klopp, there's Pep, there's Carlo Ancelotti, there's Jose, and there's Marcelo Bielsa. Now, you could argue that Bielsa doesn't quite belong in the company of the other four, but, you know, he's he's a great in the game. He's made a massive Im- impact on the game. His influence is everywhere. He's widely revered, and there's countless coaches that will tell you that without him, they wouldn't be where they are. So I do think you can make an impact in ways other than just by winning trophies. You look at someone like Stadenic Zeman, and what he did in his career, and never won anything above Serie B, but yet had an incredible impact 
on so many coaches over the last 30 years, including a couple whose teams are generally at the top of the Premier League. Um, so I do think Bielsa belongs in that class, but I, th- I think he is fifth. Um, so I'm, I'm basing it basically on what they've done recently and you know what they've done in their career. And I'm going with Klopp number one. I think right now he is the best manager in the game. Pep number two. Carlo and Jose is very close. Um, I'm going to go with Carlo because I think he's just... I, I think that the three Champions Leagues is is what sets him slightly above Jose. I think right now they're about the same level. Career-wise, I think they've been very, very similar. Jose's won more league titles, but Carlo's got the, the three Champions Leagues to Jose's two. So I'm going to say Carlo three, Jose four, and Bielsa five. In the next tier, then, um, I've got Sean Dyche, Ralph Hasenhuttle, Nuno Espirito Santo, Chris Wilder, and Brendan Rodgers. Um, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Dyche is sixth because I think he overperforms every year. I I think he gets so much more out of his team than anyone else in the league. I mean, have a look through that Burnley squad and then try and explain to me how they finished tenth last season. It's one of the worst squads in the league. There's no depth. You see it now. There's absolutely no depth. A couple of players are out and they're just completely torn up. Um. I'm going to go with Rodgers as seven. Now, you have to look at Brendan Rodgers' career as a whole. And yes, there are two. You know, he failed at Liverpool. Didn't win the title, which is the remit when you take over Liverpool. And, and you can argue whatever way you want. But when you take over at Liverpool, United, Chelsea, or City, the remit is win the title if you, or, or the Champions League. And if you don't do either, you failed. That's just unfortunately how it is. That's the expectation level at that club. And things went to went to the toilet after that for him in the in the third year and he was he was fired. But he did great work at Swansea. And that needs to be acknowledged. He took them up, played really entertaining football, kept them up comfortably. Then he went to Celtic and look, it's it's a one-horse league. It, it, this year is the first serious title challenge I think there's been in a decade or more. So it is what it is. But oh, an unbeaten season, back-to-back trebles, would have been you know the treble treble, but he left to join Leicester. And while, yes, there was the you know colossal collapse last year and they really should have made Champions League, just the fact that they were in the mix was impressive enough. The first half of his season was really good. So I'm going to go with Rodgers at seven. I'm going to go with Nuno at eight. Uh, I think he's done really good work at at Wolves. Um, I think he's a good tactician. I think his in-game management inconsistent needs needs to be worked on, but he's good at player development, and I, I like the way his team play. So Nuno is number eight. Uh, number nine, I'm going to go for Ralph Hasenhuttle. I think he's built his career very intelligently. I think you look at you know what he was able to do at um, Ingolstadt, where he took them into the Bundesliga for the first time. I think you look at what he did at Leipzig, where he took over a team that had just been promoted and immediately got them a second-place finish in the Bundesliga. I think that's really, really impressive. Um He's done a good job at Southampton. He took over a mess from Hughes, and it had been a mess before Hughes as well. 
things hadn't been done well at Southampton for a couple of years, but Ralph has really stabilised them. And last year, the the start of the season was awful, but the turnaround was was absolutely brilliant. And the seven-game unbeaten streak to finish the season in 11th is very, very impressive. Uh, Chris Wilder then at number 10, the last in Tier 2. I just love the guy. Love his tactical makeup. Love how his in-game quirks. Um, I really like his player development. I like the fact that he's willing to gamble on players that maybe other clubs have given up on or, or don't see value in, and they don't always work out. You know, Jack Rodwell didn't really work out. Um, Ravel Morrison didn't really work out. But it's worth taking the chance because the one that does work out will prove worthwhile in the long long haul. Um, he's worked his way up, and he's done a great job at all different levels, you know, especially since joining Sheffield United. How he's taken them from League One to champ to the uh, top half Premier League. And, you know, at one point they were looking like a Champions League contender last season. Um, in four years, that's sensational. So Chris Wilder's number 10. I do think he has room to grow as well. Um, tier three then. Graham Potter is, is number 11 for me. I think he's one of the most promising managers in the league. I think he's going to do really good things with that Brighton squad. I think he ends up at either at a top club or as England manager. In terms of player development, he might be the best in the league. Um, he's very good ta- tactically. And the way he's turned Brighton from a very, very defensive team under Chris Hewton into a very entertaining team in 15 months, 16 months, is is impressive. So he's number 11 for me. Um, I've got Dean Smith. At 12, I like what he's done at Villa. I really do. I like what he did at Brentford before that. I think he's a manager who's shown that he's um, he's open to other suggestions. He's open to having dissenting voices in his in his dugout. He's open to listening to his coaches, and I think he, I just think he's a good manager. I think he was good at Walsall. He was good at Brentford, and now he's been good at Villa. And the fact that he got them promoted from where they were when he took over, I think speaks volumes about him. Uh, 13 is Hodgson, and this might seem high to some people, but you have to look at the whole career, and it's a long career. And 13 is about where he finishes most seasons, so I thought it was kind of apt. It may be his last season as well, so, you know, a little nod of the cap to Roy. Uh, 14, I've got Mikel Arteta. And this this is probably a little bit high, given his lack of experience. But I really like what I see from him at Arsenal. I like how honest he is. I like how when he's interviewed about things, he speaks openly. He doesn't shirk away from things. He takes responsibility. He admits when his team have been outplayed. Um, He clearly has a vision for what he wants at Arsenal. And that's really important for a young manager to have a defined vision of what they want. And I think if you look at the young managers in the league, he's the only one that really has that. He's the only one that you can you can look at his team and say, well, that's what he wants. There's an identity to Arsenal. Yes, they're still a long way from getting where he wants them, but he has a plan to get them there. And he knows what he wants them to look like when they get there. And he won't fear from the course. I think, I think that's really to be admired. I think Arsenal have a good one in Mikel Arteta. Uh, 15, Slavin Bilic. Multiple promotions. Uh, did a good job 
at West Ham was badly treated, has done a very good job at West Brom. I think he um I think he's a good manager. I think he makes players better. I think he's a little bit unfortunate at the minute that West Brom don't really have the money he needs to keep them up to do what he wants to do. But I think he's a good manager. Um then there's then there's the final tier and there's two sets of, of people in this tier. There's there's managers that have been around a long time are classed among the dinosaurs of football because they play a certain style. Um and then there's young managers who've proven nothing or have done badly for the most part so far. So I've got Moyes at seven, at 16. But it's purely based on his time at Everton. Because since then, you'd probably put him 20. But I think Moyes at Everton did a very, very good job. I think he did a good job the first time at West Ham. Not so much this time so far. But it's it's a very difficult place to work. Uh, I do feel a little bit sorry for him. So I'm going to say Moyes at 16. Got Steve Bruce at seventeen, and this is again is is over his entire career. And Steve Bruce has accomplished quite a bit in terms of promotions, keeping teams up. He's been up and down the leagues. What he did last season at Newcastle was hugely impressive, in my view, because when he took over, I thought they were near certainty to get relegated. I didn't think they had much chance at all of staying up. Um, and they kept him up comfortably. So I'll go with Steve Bruce at 17. I've got Ollie at 18. Now, dreadful job at Cardiff. Dreadful. One of the worst managerial performances I've ever seen. Did, did pretty well at Molda, it must be said. Now, they got better after he left, but he did pretty well there. And he got third last year, and it's it's not that impressive because they didn't get any better than they had been the previous year, and they score less goals from open play. Uh, they score less goals in total, but they score a lot less goals from open play than they did under Mourinho, uh, despite apparently being a much more attacking side. I don't think he's anywhere of the class to manage at that level, at a club like United. But that's where he is. And for me, he's the 18th best manager in the league. And then it comes down to two former England midfield teammates, Frank Lampard and Scott Parker. And to me, Parker's done more as a manager. I think getting promoted with Fulham is more impressive than not getting promoted with Derby and finishing fourth with that Chelsea team. Because there's no way that Chelsea team shouldn't have finished top four. You look at the quality that was in it. They'd finished third the year before. They'd won the Europa League. Oh, you want to? Oh, Eden Hazard left. Okay, Christian Pulisic came in. Mason Mount came back off loan. Tammy Abraham came back off loan. Tamori came back off loan. Squad got better. It didn't get worse. Hazard's better than any of those four individually. He's not better than them collectively. 
the squad got better. So nothing to do with him. Those players came back off loan or Pulisic joined after his deal had been agreed. And the thing for Chelsea fans is they, they like to tell you that they couldn't replace Hazard. They'd already replaced him. Pulisic was the replacement. He was bought in the January because they knew the ban was coming. That's why they bought him in January. Pulisic was the Hazard replacement. So they did replace him. It was nonsense to suggest otherwise. They had a top four wage bill. Top four squads. So what are we applauding Frank for? Not finishing sixth? You only took them backwards a certain amount, but not as much as we thought. Now, for me, Scott Parker is the 19th best manager, and Frank is, is number 20. I don't think Frank has a tactical plan. I don't think he knows what he's doing defensively. As I said before, I haven't seen anything yet to suggest he's good enough to manage Chelsea. On the flip side, I haven't seen anything... Well, I've seen little hints thus far that he's not good enough to manage them. And I think his behaviour on the touchline is outrageous. Stay in your lane, Frank. Earn your stripes. Learn your craft. And then, in a couple of years maybe, you can gob off at Mourinho and Klopp. But until then, they will pull your pants down and paddle your arse because they're much, much better at what they do than you are at what you do. And you're much, much more likely to lose your job than they are. Now, speaking of losing jobs, it's, it's interesting with, you know, with Ollie, with Frank, and I think it'll be the same with Scott Parker. I think if other managers had gone to those clubs and done what they've done, they'd be under far more pressure. And the reason I think that is because you'd have pundits criticizing them. But I'm yet to hear a single pundit criticize Oli because there's so many United, ex-United players who are pundits. You've got Neville on Sky, you've got Rio on BT, and they're Ollie's two biggest cheerleaders. You never hear a bad word about, about him. The same with Lampard, his ex-England teammates littered through both. The same with Parker, littered through both. You never hear the criticism. And the thing is, the fans won't really start to criticize until the pundits start to criticize, for the most part, because people are sheep. And when they hear it on television, they think they've been informed somehow. And they make that decision. But objectively, if you take off the glasses, the tinted glasses, and you look at your situation from afar, can anybody really honestly say that they think Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is good enough to manage Manchester United? Can anyone really say they think Frank Lampard's good enough to manage Chelsea? Fulham's a different situation. But I think Parker will get a lot more rope and a lot less criticism than other managers would at that club because he's got his friends in the media. And it's an old boys club. It's the same thing we see with VAR and referees not wanting to correct other referees because they're friends with them or the independent adjudicators that oversee these things. They, they rarely pull the referees up on it. Or, you know, BT and Sky have their, you know, refereeing expert. But they're ex-referees and they're not going to criticize their mates. 
And the same thing with these pundits. They're not going to criticize Ollie or Frank until it's absolutely terminal. And there's no way that they can do anything other than say, maybe it's time to go. But even at that, they won't criticize him. They'll say how unlucky they've been. They'll talk about the circumstances. Antonio Conte never got circumstances thrown around. Sarri never got circumstances thrown around. Mourinho and Van Hal and Moyes, they didn't get the benefit of the circumstances. But Oli will get it. Frank will get it. And until those two are replaced by... I don't see those clubs going further than where they are. Maybe downwards, but certainly not upwards. They can spend as much money as they want. They're not going to challenge for titles with those two managers. Maybe in 10 years for Frank. Maybe after he's gone away and learned his craft, he could come back and actually be ready for the job. He wasn't ready for the job when he took it. He took it more as a favor to Roman, I think, than anything else. But I think he's hamstrung his career a little bit. It's a shame because I, I, I did think there was good signs at Derby that he could put something together, but it hasn't worked for him. Um, right, we'll wrap up with some transfer news. So, uh, on the topic of Chelsea, Aston Villa have announced the signing of Ross Barkley on loan. Um, I'm very, very happy with this signing. I think this is a very good signing for Villa. It's obviously one that I've, I've called for a couple of times. Uh, so, good to know Mr. Smith is listening. Uh, maybe I should have listed him a little bit higher on uh, my manager's rankings. But I think Barkley adds to that midfield. I think he'll add goals, endeavour, creativity. And they've got a good group there. They've got Douglas Louise, who I think is one of the better holding midfielders in the league. Marvellous Nakamba is a good holding midfielder, can also play box-to-box. John McGinn, obviously, good all-rounder. Conor Huron's a good all-rounder. You add Barkley into that mix. They have young Ramsey. I think Villa can be very, very happy with their summer business so far. I think they can be really happy. Bertrand Traore is a good signing. Ollie Watkins looks like he's just taken the Premier League so easily. Matty Cash is a very, very good signing. And Emmy Martinez. Um, you, that's, that's really good business. They've targeted specific areas and they've gone and got the players they want. And they may not yet be finished because they have the money. If they want to do something else, they can. Um, uh, Leeds United, who are also having a good transfer window, uh, looks like they have Mikel Croissant's from Bayern Munich in the bag. Very, very talented player. Lovely left foot. Box-to-box type of player. Looks like he could potentially develop a goal-scoring side to his game, but he's got lovely passing, lovely range. I, I like the addition. The question's over the attitude. Um, but, look, it. if Bielsa thought he was going to be a problem, I don't think he'd be coming in. I'd imagine there's been talks. It seems like maybe he sorted himself out and wants to play now. That's what he, where his, his focus is, his playing time. So, all credit to him. He's he's pushed to leave one of the best clubs in the world. And uh, and I think he'll do well at Leeds. Um, Manchester City, obviously, confirmed the signing of Ruben Diaz. Again, one, one that I had uh, suggested here. So, I think it's a really good signing. And rumours are they're not finished in the market. They're looking for a left-back. The two names going round are David Alaba and Nicholas Tagliafico of Ajax. I'd be surprised if Alaba left Bayern. I very, I very much would. Uh, but Tagliafico would be a good signing. Now, it's a bad look for City that after spending £200 million on full-backs under Pep, they're still badly in need of a left-back, but it is what it is. Um, finally then, Sheffield United have been linked with Mark Rocha. I, I 
I really like the player, and I'm surprised he's still at Espanyol, having you know after them being relegated last year. Rumors are he could be available for nine million. I think he'd be a big upgrade for them in midfield because I think it would allow them to play Sander Berger box to box, and then they can play Roja in that holding role uh, instead of Oli Norwood. He's a lot better defensively. He's a good passer of the ball. Has a lovely left foot. I think him and Berger could be a really good two thirds of the next iteration of Chris Wilder's midfield. Um, so I'd be all in favour of that for Sheffield United. Though I know some of their fans are a little bit hesitant, you know, because they're very loyal to the players that got them where they are. But at a certain point, you do really need to sort of step your game up. Um, Chelsea are willing to sell Jeremy defender Antonio Rudiger. And although Tottenham are interested in the 27-year-old, the Blues would prefer it if he moved overseas. I don't think Chelsea need to worry about where he goes. He's not going to make anybody all that much better. Um, I would sell him to a rival personally. I think you make them weaker. Um, in other transfer news, uh, Saeed Klasnach looks like he's leaving Arsenal to go to Bayer Leverkusen. That's a bit of a strange one. But he, you know, he'd been in Germany quite a while and he's probably still highly rated there. Maybe they don't watch the Premier League in, in Leverkusen. It's the, the only thing I could think of. Because uh, he hasn't been good, and I wouldn't be paying any type of money for him. Um, a, a lot of United kind of news going round, most of it nonsense. But something that is interesting is allegedly they've joined the race to get Luka Jovic on loan from Real Madrid. Um, that would obviously be the alternative to signing Edison Cavani. And he's a tremendous talent. He really, really is a tremendous talent. Now, whether or not he's going to be happy to leave Real's bench and come and sit on the United bench, I don't know. Because I don't imagine he'd start over Martial at this point. A year ago, it wouldn't have been a question. Jovic was just on a different level, but he's had a really bad season with Real. Martial's had a brilliant season with United. And that front three for United works. They have a great understanding. So I don't know that you'd play around with it too much for a loan signing. Um, Jovic has also been linked with Roma I think so maybe he goes there and Cavani goes to United I think Cavani's a, a good signing for them I think if they got Cavani and Sar, I, I just think that will set the attack up you know maybe you can add Phillips or um, David Brooks as well if if the money's there but even just to get Sar and Cavani would be would be a good move I, I think the Usman Dembele thing is just it's a strange one. The injuries, there's talk he doesn't even want to leave Barca because he's very happy there. Um, and if he's happy there not playing and given how things have gone there for him, I'd be raising major question marks over what he wants from, from his life and what he wants from the game. Um, he wouldn't be one for me, all things considered. Um, not if I'm united and I'm trying to build something. It's different if you're already established and you have a really strong group of players That'll knock any nonsense out of him and keep him on, on a short leash. But I don't think that'll happen at United. I think players get like you look at what look at Pogba. Just takes months off at a time, you know, claims he's injured. Strange one. Um that's it. That's everything for today. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Foxhaunt for our title music. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, our uh, intrepid producer. 
And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, no idea what we'll be talking about tomorrow. Hopefully something new. Most of today's show was to be tomorrow's show. Um, so we'll see. We'll have to come up with something overnight. Um, so until then, take care of yourself. Have a good evening. And goodbye. Podcast Network.